I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, guys. It's Hillary here. Just a quick note. This series does deal with a lot of tough subject matter that may be difficult for some listeners. So please keep this in mind when and where you choose to listen to these episodes. It's December 12th, 2018. Closing remarks have just finished in the civil case against Pat Chisenhall, and the Harnett County jury is advised that it is now time to discuss whether or not Pat Chisenhall is responsible for the wrongful death of Christian Griggs. When the jury returns from deliberations, everyone is holding their breath. Last episode, we discussed the only option left for Tony and Dolly Griggs to file a civil lawsuit. And on this episode, we'll discuss the civil trial against Pat Chisenhall and whether Pat's justification of self-defense holds up in a court of law. I'm Hillary Burton Morgan, and this is True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here. Hey, you guys. We have our wonderful team assembled here, Dan, Poe, Andrew, and I'm Hillary. We're all ready to jump right into this one. Now, when it's clear to Dolly and Tony Griggs that the Harnett County District Attorney's Office and the Sheriff's Office are not going to do anything to pursue criminal charges against Pat Chisenhall in the death of their son, they really only have one option, right? And that's to file a civil lawsuit against Pat Chisenhall. And so just as a reminder, in this civil case, the Griggs are suing Pat Chisenhall for the wrongful death of their son. And so at this point, it's not a murder trial. You know, there's no innocence. There's no guilt. Ultimately, the question that the jury has to decide is if Pat Chisenhall was or was not justified in the fatal shooting of Christian Griggs. Now, it's the Griggs' hope that if the jury sides with them in this civil case, that maybe the county will move forward in the pursuit of criminal charges. And Dan, you talked to the Griggs about some of their concerns going into this trial, particularly with the jury. So let's just hear a little bit from that interview right now. 
Well, we knew going into the jury process that it was going to be difficult to find people that were unbiased. But at this point, we had no choice because it was not about us, but it was about a, ju a jury of the peers of Pat Chisenhall. There were a few blacks that were in the jury pool, but when it came down to the final jury selection, there was only like one black left in the pool. And I think the attorney, Mr. Levin, for Pat Chisholm, the defendant, had went to excuse that, that juror. So that they were attempting to go with an all-white jury. Talking to folks around Harnett County a little bit, it's like people feel like, yeah, you have a right to defend yourself. And it just feels like a sort of a very sort of pro sort of, you know, Second Amendment kind of place that almost seems like you have an uphill battle with maybe a, a jury around here. Is that your understanding or no? Harnett County is a Second Amendment kind of town, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, open carry, a lot of open area. People like to carry their firearms and they actually shoot on their property and things like that as long as you're outside the city. So it, it is a pro-gun community. It is a uh, defend yourself uh, kind of, uh, I don't know what the term would be, but they love, they, they love their guns and they're no problem in defending themselves or their home or their property. So were you nervous about that, having a jury in Harnett County? We were nervous uh, all the way through it, definitely. Uh, it was a concern. But the one thing that we always knew and know to this day, we got the truth on our side. You can't have self-defense when you shoot a man in the back laying on the ground. That's not self-defense. If you think it is, go home tonight, lay in your bed on your belly, and envision someone standing above you with a rifle and firing at you, and how do you defend yourself? That's not self-defense. And we knew that, that that was not self-defense, and it can't be termed as self-defense. So we knew coming into this battle, the one thing we've always had is the truth on our side. And then Robbie Jessup, the Griggs attorney, he kind of affirms the worries that they have about the trial being in Harnett County. And one of his biggest worries is that the story of self-defense is going to be very difficult to overcome. Because as far as a jury goes, I mean, these are all fair things for the Griggs and Robbie Jessup to be concerned about. We've talked about it, you know, when a narrative comes out, it's incredibly hard to change the minds of the people who have already accepted it. It very much felt like going into the lion's den in trying this case in Harnett County. It, going into it, I, I very much wondered, uh, could we ever break from the narrative or convince the community, the jury, to break from the narrative that was put out there from the very start about this being clear-cut self-defense, about Chisenhall being justified and Christian snapping. I mean, this is a small community. Once a community comes to believe something like that, it doesn't want to easily let that belief go. Now, Robbie Jessup and his legal partner, Rebecca Ugalik, they want to combat this narrative of self-defense head-on. So on December 5th of 2018, Rebecca Ugalik delivers her opening remarks. And she says, on the morning of October 12, 2013, the Reverend Pat Chisenhall pumped six shots into his son-in-law 
his unarmed son-in-law, Christian Griggs, and killed him on his front porch. The trial begins and the courtroom is full. And Tyler Dukes, the journalist from WRAL that we talked about in our last episode, remembers how aggressively the defense presented the self-defense narrative, really attacking Christian's character. One of the things you saw during the civil case was the defense really tried to go through the backstory of Christian's interactions with not just Katie, but in some cases, his own family. I mean, what we saw was them presenting evidence of this fight that took place between Christian Griggs and his father, Tony Griggs, when Christian was still a teenager. These are sort of the early stages of his relationship with Katie. And they really did try to paint a picture of Christian as sort of having this history of uh, uh, violence to some degree, either verbal or physical. And, you know, again, the, the, the picture they want to try to paint is of a person who would could reasonably be expected to um, cause somebody to fear for their life, fear for their safety on, you know, in the case of Pat Chisenhall at his home. That is a lot for the Griggs to have to hear over and over again since their son died. Yeah, Tony tells us how much his son's character and the value of his life continued to be called into question. It was really difficult for the family. They, as in the Harney County Sheriff Department, tried to set a narrative that somehow Christian deserved what he got. Christian was out of control. Christian broke in the window that in some way, in some fashion, he had no business being there. His presence wasn't, wasn't to be there. And that he was in the wrong place. That he didn't fit. He didn't have any right to be there. That it, this was all about Pat Chisholm. I felt during the trial that we were spending more time trying to make Christian a person rather than looking at what this guy had done to Christian. There was no questions about the credibility of Pat Chisholm and all the things that he did. It was Christian that was on trial doing this. And did he deserve what he got? That's pretty much the way it came across. The, the trial was very, very difficult. I cannot imagine how Tony must have felt just day in and day out hearing his son's character constantly berated. So Christian's dead, right? But it's his shooter, Pat Chisenhall, that's being painted as the victim. And so what does Robbie Jessup and the Griggs legal team do to combat this narrative throughout the trial? Robbie and his team really dive into the timeline of the 911 calls, you know, the same way we did on a previous episode. But even more than the questions the 911 calls bring about, Jessup's team really homes in on a claim that Pat Chisenhall started making shortly after the shooting and continued making throughout the trial. That he's getting kind of fuzzy on the details of the morning. He's deposed and then testifies, and he just claims that he's got a kind of an amnesia. So let's recap. Just a few days after shooting Christian, Pat Chisenhall does the walkthrough with law enforcement. And we featured that on an earlier episode. You know, he makes this tape, and he seems to give the story in great detail. I mean, he seems pretty clear then. In the video, he says a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I got in the door, the glass broke, I was terrified, I turned around, I saw Katie, her face was terrible, I ran in the closet, I grabbed the gun, I think I was standing here. But he does start saying, and then it becomes fragments, it becomes fragments. But he doesn't say, I have no idea what happened once I grabbed the gun. But that changes when Jessup interviews Pat in a pre-trial deposition, which 
That's when an attorney can ask questions and try to find out what the witness will say if and when they take the stand. Jessup tells us Pat Chisenhall seemingly cannot remember a single thing. So at the time of the walkthrough, Pat has a good recollection um, or seems to have a good recollection of how he contends the shooting occurred. We played some of the audio and discussed Pat's recreation video in a previous episode, but I do think it's worth hearing again because Pat sounds pretty clear. And then I ran. I, I do remember that. I ran right here. Close this up. There was a 22 rifle right there. What? That's it. There was a 22 there. I grabbed that. And I came running in here. And this, I, I don't know now. I don't know. My mind is just, I saw, my mind is just, it's all fragmented. And, um, it's just, uh, I, I, think, I think I fired from here. By the time I've taken Mr. Chisenhall's deposition, he can't remember a damn thing. But as far as the shooting goes, the incident itself, anything after the glass broke, I don't remember anything. And then on December 6th, 2018, Pat takes the stand. And his hair is combed back. He's wearing a striped button-down shirt. And he appears somber as he's being asked to recollect that day. In terms of his testimony at trial, he would remember some things for his lawyer and other things not for me. And blanketly claimed a general lack of recollection of anything at all when those four bullets would have been discharged into Christian's back. So WRAL covered the trial, and just listen to this moment where Robbie Jessup questions Pat on the stand. I want to be very clear about this, sir. It is your testimony that you cannot testify you were acting in self-defense at the time you shot those four fatal shots in Christian Griggs' back, correct? I have no memory of it, so... So you cannot, correct? Correct. This is such an important moment in the trial. You know, we've heard this claim from Pat before that his memory is fuzzy. But what's the difference between Pat Chisenhall's walkthrough, where he seems to be clear, and then being asked similar questions in a court of law? Yeah. I mean, he, in the walkthrough video, days after the shooting, he clearly says, Christian burst in through the window his face was full of rage. I was terribly afraid. And I stood here and I shot him. And I ran into the closet. I grabbed a gun and I came back and shot him. But here's the thing. At that point, he's not being treated as a suspect of anything. So he has not been read his Miranda rights where they say anything you say and do can be used against you in a court of law. He's able to tell whatever story he wants to tell and then color it with that my brain is fuzzy disclaimer. However, when you are sitting in that little witness stand and you're being cross-examined by an attorney in front of a judge and a jury, if you lie, you can be charged with perjury. And so you can't say this happened, but I'm a little bit fuzzy. 
it's much safer for him to be like, I don't remember it at all. Yeah, I mean, I think this really hurt him, actually. The whole point that he's trying to make is that this is a justified shooting. But the jury never hears that from Pat's lips. I mean, to me, this is the most significant part of the entire trial. He says he can't remember, so he can't say if he was actually acting in self-defense or not. Dan, just play devil's advocate for a second. I mean, yes, I know what you're saying, that basically if he can't remember, then of course it's up to the jury to decide whether or not he was intentional or unintentional. But by the same token, he does claim that he was in fear for his life and that it was justified. And then he looks really bad because then he's standing up there right there in front of them and saying, I remember nothing, even though I gave you all that information that is on the record and has been repeated many times. Now I don't remember. That makes him look worse for a jury. than. Or is it, as Hillary says, just a safer... No, it is safer, safer, but it is safer. But the jury is looking at somebody who is claiming he killed somebody in self-defense. He has said so in the past. And now he's saying he just doesn't remember. Safer or not, it doesn't look good to a jury for somebody to just say, yeah, all that I said, I actually don't remember. And we hear this all the time, even in criminal cases, where there may be a recorded statement from somebody early on in, in an investigation where they outline their story. But if that person, that witness isn't allowed to come into the courtroom and be cross-examined by the other attorneys, it holds a lot less weight. So his chance to really prove himself in front of a jury in a court, that's when it holds weight. They say, oh, you said something in a conversation, tell me now, then it becomes a matter of court record. And if you then hedge or don't remember conveniently, you look weak and your story looks weak. I mean, that's fodder. That's what an attorney prosecuting or defense wants. Yeah, I would ask, well, were you lying on that tape? And he would say, I don't know if I was lying or not because I don't remember. You know, I mean, that it's really, it's <laughs> it, rough. It drives a truck through that guy's claim of being a solid witness. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. 
Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, so the civil trial against Pat Chisenhall goes on for a little over a week. And then on December 12th, 2018, Robbie Jessup, the Griggs attorney, makes his closing statements. And he says, the only people that can tell you what happened on October 11th and October 12th, both of those dates, are Katie Griggs and Pat Chisenhall. But the physical evidence is here to speak for Christian. On October 12th, 2013, somebody took this rifle. And it's a rifle you have to aim and you have to pull the trigger each time. They aimed it at Christian once and shot him. I believe that was the abdomen shot. You may come to another conclusion. They aimed it at Christian Griggs and they shot again. I believe that was the shoulder shot, but you might come to another conclusion. We can't conclusively say what order they came in. Then, when Christian Griggs' body was either parallel to the ground or completely flat on the ground, someone aimed this and shot this rifle a third time into his back. They then shot it a fourth time into his back. They then shot it a fifth time into his back. And they then shot it a sixth time into his back. He then ends with, the word verdict, as Mr. Levin says, is to tell the truth. So what is the truth in this action? I'd ask that each of you stand by your convictions that you all deliberate respectfully, but passionately. That's the only way our system works. And I'd ask that you send a message with your verdict. So after all the closing statements are through, the jury sent off to deliberate. And just as a reminder, what the jury is deciding is whether Pat Chisenhall was justified in shooting Christian Griggs. Now, if the jury sides with the Griggs family, Pat will be fined $250,000, which will be put into a trust for Christian's daughter, Jaden. But there will be no jail time. How long is the jury out before they come back? 93 minutes. 93 minutes. That's it? Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. And what does the jury of your peers come back and say? They had a unanimous verdict that Pat Chisenhall 
did not kill Christian in self-defense of himself, his family, or his home. So according to a jury of residents of that community, it's not castle doctrine. They have said this is a wrongful death. And the same situation would play out in a criminal trial. It would go to a jury of 12, and they would have to make this decision. So if you're the Griggs family, and you're like, a jury agrees with us. We've got this private investigator that agrees with us. We have a medical examiner that agrees with us. We have an attorney that agrees with us. Now we have a jury of 12 that agrees with us. I imagine they're feeling optimistic that all of these things could be influential on law enforcement and that a criminal trial will actually take place. The Griggs are hopeful that there will be a criminal investigation reopened. Well, we heard the verdict from the trial. I was uh, relieved. There was hope again. Some things are difficult to say, but not that hard to see. And this is one of those cases. I thought we might get justice now. We've proven, we've proven that it was not self-defense. We've got a jury verdict. They've got to arrest this guy now. They've got to do the right thing. Even if they won't correct the narrative, it's a fact that it was not self-defense. They've got to do something. But that's not what happens. So the very next day, the sheriff's department doesn't contact the Griggs family. They don't reach out to the Griggs lawyer. Instead, what happens is that there is a letter from the sheriff, Sheriff Wayne Coates, and that is released to the press and printed in local media. It is important to clarify that Sheriff Coates was not the acting sheriff when Christian died in 2013. He's newly elected and still in 2024 is the acting sheriff of Harnett County But we should read this letter. Andrew, will you take us through that? From Sheriff Wayne Coates. The jury has spoken in the civil trial, and we cannot forget that the civil justice system is a means to justice. Not every case warrants criminal charges, especially when the suspected crime cannot be proved to the extent that justice requires. And at those times, the civil justice aspect of our system of justice is the proper place. But we must also remember that the proof required in each aspect of the justice system is different also. In a criminal case, proof must meet the highest standard of proof known to the law, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. As law enforcement officers, when we do not believe the proof reaches that highest standard, we confer with the district attorney. In this matter, the opinion of both agencies is that the highest burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt cannot be met. In the civil justice context, the standard of proof is far lower, a mere preponderance of the evidence. The evidence in this case met that standard in the minds of the jurors. That liability was more likely than not. Yet that standard is not the criminal justice standard. And all of the evidence produced in the investigation and even in the civil trial does not meet the criminal justice standard as applied in these circumstances. No matter how we might think it should be, or even if some would like for it to be different, real justice requires the same law to be applied in each unique case, just as in any other case, whether we like the result or not. Wayne A. Coates, Sheriff of Harnett County. That's insane. You guys, we 
in doing this show have heard the phrase over and over and over again, you can indict a ham sandwich. When you present information to a grand jury and allow them to make the decision as to whether or not something is going to move forward to trial, you know, we've joked with defense attorneys about how little it takes to send something to trial. And it feels like we have an avalanche of material here. I mean, I just, how can the sheriff, after the result of the civil case, not say, hey, we need to seriously take another look at this? And not just the sheriff. The district attorney also says that the result of the civil trial isn't going to change the decision to not charge Pat Chisholm criminally. This is not a circumstantial case. There are ballistics, there are forensics, there are phone calls, there is a timeline, there are people that were there, you know Testimonies who, that don't align. You know who did it, there are the 911 calls. I mean, this is a preponderance of evidence, this case. I have seen cases where there was zero forensics, no phone calls, no witnesses, not even an exact timeline or cause of death that people have gotten the death penalty. So this is the opposite of a circumstantial case. So for something to be brought to a criminal trial, what are the pathways for those charges to be brought? They always go to the grand jury. Yeah, well, the district attorney decides to take the case and to file the charges. And then they usually take that case and present it to a grand jury who then issues the indictment. And the grand jury looks at whatever the district attorney has placed there and says, there's grounds to dig further. The grand jury, in theory, holds the DA's office accountable who's bringing the charges. So that they can't just willy-nilly bring anything in. A group of jurors have to say, yes, we agree with you. This is highly suspicious. We'd like to see more. They don't even have to say it's suspicious. They just have to say, there's reason to look further. They have to say that there's enough evidence there of guilt to at least have a trial. But what a disappointment this is for the Griggs family because the DA's office is affirming that it's not worth pursuing at all. Totally. And that was pretty much how the Griggs felt. When we got to the facts that it was not self-defense, but they still refused to do the right thing. And then the justification behind that was the sheriff, oh, it wasn't on my tenure. Oh, by the way, if it's a murder or manslaughter, it's got to be beyond a reasonable doubt. No, sheriff, all you need is probable cause for an arrest and an indictment. Same thing for the D.A., But the DA let us know early on when we were going through the different motions that they were not going to be supportive. It's crazy because they're saying, even if you feel the outcome should be different, this is the standard and maybe you just don't understand it. And it's a wildly condescending letter. Yes. And so if a jury of 12 of your residents are saying, hold on, there is a problem here, it would seem that law enforcement should say, you know what? Yeah. We'll take a look at that further. But for this letter from Sheriff Wayne Coates to come out the day after a successful civil trial, you know, that's law enforcement doubling down. They're saying that they will not relook at this case. They will not recheck their work. They will not do any labor to allay the fears of the community that something went wrong here. And they're saying, oh, yes, their DA and their sheriff's office agrees, but their ME, their ME disagrees vocally Mm -hmm. and in trial and with evidence and with written statements based on her expertise and the evidence before her, she disagrees with their conclusion that there is not 
reason to look at this, that there are not conflicts within the state's stance and the evidence. I believe her statement that the angle of the bullets going into Christian's body was not consistent with the claim of self-defense. But all I'm saying, that ME said she thought there were big problems with the state's stance and the sheriff's department's stance about it being self-defense. And so they're saying, we're saying we're all aligned, but that's not true. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So the information, the evidence presented at the civil trial, that has never been presented to a grand jury. The district attorney's office refuses. And it's such an abuse to the Griggs family who served their country. They have always been upstanding citizens fighting for the rights of everyone. And so to have this right 
of safety in one's own community and representation by your elected officials denied to them and their son, it just flies in the face of what they've always fought for. I mean, I think the family would be satisfied if someone said, we'll take a look at it again in some way, shape, or form. Even the current DA's office will take a look again. I mean, don't they owe that to the family? I think they owe that to the citizenry. I mean, the victim of this crime was shot. We all know who he was shot by, when he was shot, where he was shot, and within a very tiny little time, when he was shot. All the what, where, when, how, all of it, we know. The police decided that they were the ones who should be the jury and the judge about whether it was self-defense or not. But what's the right choice for the state? What's the right choice for the sheriff's department or the DA's office? What does it cost to take a look again? I mean, it, it costs money to do any of the work. You're putting your man hours towards doing work. That happens all the time. You know, district attorneys are like, yeah, we think we know who did it, but we just don't have the evidence to prove it. So we're not going to take it to trial because we're just going to lose and it's going to waste everybody's money. But in those situations, have there been successful civil victories already? I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look for specific examples. But the fact is, is that that's one aspect that they're saying, we don't think we can win a criminal trial against Pat Chisholm. But the other end is what Andrew was saying. They can reopen the investigation. They can look to see if there is other evidence that could be used. Okay, so what about like another agency coming in and looking at this, like state police or the FBI? Right. What would the harm be in having another law enforcement agency take a look at this case? Or even reevaluating it within your own agency. Unless the investigation is just so sloppy and shoddy that it's an embarrassment, it's a mistake, it's an error that will have great costs to the state. Great cost to the sheriff's department, great cost to the DA's office. That's a possibility as to why you don't look at it again. It doesn't take long to look at these facts of this case. I doubt that this case file is that thick. Well, if it happened at 11 o'clock in the morning and the case was closed at 545 that day and the scene turned over, you're right. There's probably not a ton in that file, which is an embarrassment in and of itself, given how many complicating factors we've even discussed, you know? I'm sure there's stuff we don't know. We can only see what we can see. But being that you know when, what, where, when, how, you know, the what, when, where, how, who, who, you know all the things that are usually a mystery that a detective has to go find out. You know all of that. You know all of it right away. And it's just about justified or not. That's it. That's all. Right. And the hope would be that a jury would decide that in a criminal trial. But hope is sometimes a painful thing. And to this day, Tony and Dolly Griggs are not only fighting to protect the memory of Christian, but to continue their pursuit of justice. We love our family. We've always been a very close-knit family. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll just continue to fight for him until I don't have a, I don't, until my last breath, I will always fight for him. That's it for this week's episode of True Crime Story. It couldn't happen here. But be sure to join us next week as we dive deeper into the Christian Griggs case. A special prosecutor needs to be appointed to oversee our case. And also the Department of Justice needs to come in and intervene. That's what needs to happen there. Join us next week as we continue to roll up our sleeves and dig in. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched Sundance TV's True Crime Story, It Couldn't Happen Here, 
you can catch all of our episodes streaming on AMC+. For more information about this and other cases we've covered, follow at ICHH Stories on Instagram. True Crime Story It Couldn't Happen Here was produced by Mischief Farm in association with Bungalow Media and Entertainment, Authentic Management Productions, and Figdonia in partnership with Sundance TV. Executive producers are me, Hillary Burton Morgan, Liz DeCessory, Robert Friedman, Mike Powers, and Meg Mortimer. Producers are Maggie Robinson-Katz and Libby Siegel. Our audio engineer is Brendan Dalton with original music by Philip Radiotis. We want to say a special thank you to everyone who participated, but especially the families impacted by our cases. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, the Apollo Jim murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.